Have you ever wondered why anyone drinks Malort? Or if there are actually lobsters in the Chicago River? Then listen to the Curious City podcast, where we answer all your questions about Chicago and the region. WBEZ's Curious City is part of the NPR network and available wherever you find your podcasts. Happy Sunday. This is The Morning Shift. I'm Jen White. Coming up in just a bit, we'll talk to Christian Picciolini. He's a former neo-Nazi turned anti-extremism advocate, and he's our guest for the latest installment of the movie that made me. But first, you know the old joke. There are two seasons in Chicago, winter and road construction. WBEZ's transportation contributor Mary Wisniewski joined us earlier this week to catch you up on where the big projects are happening, how they're affecting traffic, and other important things to know as you're making your way around the area. But she began by breaking out new numbers on highway fatalities in Illinois. For three consecutive years now, highway deaths in Illinois have been over 1,000. They were 1,032 last year. This reflects national trends. For the last three years, they've been uh, topping 40,000 nationally. And the factors that uh, safety experts say contribute to this are there's more cars on the road because the economy is good, and so people are driving to their jobs. Um, Also, there's a lot of problems from distracted driving. And then there's continuing problems from uh, driving while drunk and uh, you know, speeding and you know the usual things that cause that cause crashes. So there's been a lot of tragedy out there. And are we seeing an increase in the number of construction workers or emergency workers who are being injured in these accidents? We're not seeing an increase, but we are continuing to see construction workers being injured. We've also seen in just in the last few months a spike in the number of emergency patrol workers, um, state troopers being killed. Now, the state is tackling this issue with a new ad campaign. Tell us about it. Sure. This is an ad campaign um, called the Life or Death Campaign by the Illinois Department of Transportation. It actually got started last year with a series of ads and social media messages. But this year, what they're doing is they're focusing on victims of crashes. What They're having families of crash victims send in home video of victims doing things like bathing a baby, playing the trumpet, playing with a kitten, um, singing, karaoke which really brings home that these these are pe- our loved ones who were killed and, and, that it, and that it's a matter of life or death. Well, it's summer, and of course, as always, that means we're facing a lot of construction in and around the city. What construction updates do you have for us? Well, we have we have orange cones around. Uh, on, we've, we continue to have an, on I-294. Um, they're, they're working on that around the O'Hare area. We also have a lot of construction on Lakeshore Drive. They're finally finishing the Navy Pier flyover, the pedestrian and bike flyover, which is is right downtown here, um, but uh, that means that they ha- they also have to fix a bridge over um, the Chicago River right at Lakeshore Drive, and so there's a lot of traffic reconfiguration there. Um, one new bit of construction is at Foster Avenue and the Union Pacific North Line Railroad Bridge. That's going to be closed for two weeks, and so people are going to have to detour around there. So if you're in that neighborhood, uh, be aware that Foster's not going to be open, so you're going to have to circle around. Is there an easy workaround? Oh uh, yeah, you can you, know, you take Ashland down and up or up to Lawrence and around to Damon, and uh, you know you can get around. But it is going to be a 
a surprise for some people. All right. And and just generally speaking, state of the roads right now in Chicagoland? State of the roads is that there's there's still a lot of potholes left over from our very harsh winter and our very extreme winter. So people have to be careful. It's a it's a big cause of, of minor crashes. If you're on a bicycle, if you're on a scooter, or if you're just in a car going too fast and you want to take your axle out, you have to be careful. Um, the other thing that happens is in when the weather gets very hot, as it did last week, there's a problem with roads buckling because everything expands when it's hot and uh, your feet expand, the roads <laughs> expand, the steel expands. And so sometimes, especially on older roads, it can cause roads to buckle. So that's another thing to be careful on, of, especially when you're driving on an older road. Well, speaking of heat, I, I want to highlight another effort you wrote about for people who may find themselves stranded on the tollway this summer. Um, when the weather gets above about 90 degrees, mm-hmm. there are these hot weather patrols being deployed on the tollway. How does it work? Well, what what the tollway does is they put out extra patrols. You know, there's already the state troopers. There's already, you know, people who are out there looking for problems. But they put out extra patrols that will watch out for people who are stranded because they might have a flat tire. They might have run out of gas. You'll be able to, um, you know, if you reach out for emergency services, these trucks will come to you. And there's enough room in there that you can get in there and sit in the air conditioning while somebody's working on your tire or if you have to be transported to a garage. The tollway also reminds people that when it, when the weather is hot, make sure that your tires are inflated properly because, again, we talked about expansion. Um, if, you're, if your tires are not inflated properly, they're more likely to give out on a hot day when they touch that hot pavement. Now, I want to wrap up on a story today about the best and worst drivers by profession in the country. Um, They figured this out by analyzing the insurance applications of about 1.6 million drivers. Right. Yeah, it's it's a big, big sample. So let's start by talking about what they were looking for, how they made this. Sure. They were looking for when you when you apply for car insurance, they want to know your your driving history. And so one of the things you have to put on there is, you know, the past violations and also your occupation. And so they looked at that and they were able to analyze which are the professions with the highest number and the lowest number of past traffic violations. Okay. And, and let's start with the good news. The good news <laughs> is uh, the really good drivers out there are postmasters, music composers, uh, business executives, fishermen, park rangers, federal agents, police detectives, uh, agricultural inspectors. It's a very mixed bag. I thought it was a pretty funny list because my dad had been a postmaster and he always said he was the best driver on the road. <laughs> I guess he was right now. Right. On, on the other side of things, the worst drivers who made that list. Well, I'm afraid journalists <laughs> made that list as well. <laughs> as bartenders, um, ticket sales representatives, um, fitness club managers, strangely huh. enough, and uh, film production crew workers. Um, some of the things that the worst driver list had in common, according to the data, data analyst who put together this study, is that they tend to work irregular hours. Um, have high-stress jobs, and sometimes work really long weeks, 60-hour weeks. And so it's possible that their attention might be a little thinner than it should be. Where did this analysis intersect with the gig economy? Well, one of the things that um, you know that, that's common with the gig economy is that you're working a lot of different jobs and a lot of different hours. Some of those people who identify as fitness club managers or as sales reps might be working part-time jobs, might be working more than one job. And working at, at multiple jobs for multiple hours might lead you to also be a little distracted, a little stressed out. And then the whole exhaustion piece comes into play as well. Right. 
you know, we've been talking about distracted driving a little earlier um, in our conversation. What are the main drivers? Is it just about cell phone use or, or other things at play? Cell phone use is a big, big factor because there's so many things that you can do with your phone now besides just, you know, talking on it. And you can also be distracted even when you're on a, a headphone. You can still be distracted because you're having a conversation that's not existing in the space that you're in. They've done tests that show that even people who are on speakerphone are significantly distracted. What safety experts and driver education experts tell me is that you just got to put it in your purse and put it in your back seat or put it in the trunk. Because you, every time you hear that ding, you think you're going to have to respond to it. And it's even dangerous at stoplights because you don't know what's going to happen at a stoplight. Now, this is a good time to remind people that the state has actually upped the right. uh, penalties for distracted driving. Talk about that. Starting July 1st, there's been an, an increase in the penalties for distracted driving. And the most significant part of it is not just the money. The, the fines have gone up, but it's now going to be marked as a moving violation. So it's going to affect your insurance. And if you get too many of these, it's going to affect you know whether or not you can keep your driving license. And Illinois State Police have been stepping up their enforcement. So it's not just something that police are going to ignore if you're out on state highways. Chicago police are not enforcing this very, um, you know, with, with, with in large numbers. Um, but still, just for the sake of yourself and for the sake of the people you're sharing the streets with, get off your phone. All right. Of course, we want to check in with you about other transportation stories you're following right now. We're following what's going to happen with the state capital money. Metra is planning to buy new rail cars. This is with a major infrastructure major bill. Major infrastructure mm-hmm. bill. The Illinois Department of Transportation is looking at when they can start certain projects that they've had on their wish list for a while. The same with CTA, the same with PACE. PACE is looking to expand its service. It has an express service on the highways on I-55, and they want to expand that. And so we're they're, they're waiting for their money to come in. They're waiting to, to get started on these projects. And what are those big projects you're watching? Definitely the I-55 project is going to be really important because PACE has been, you know, they, they've seen an incredible increase in people who are using those buses. Also, Metra, one of the reasons that Metra has so many problems with delays is because it has old rolling stock. It has old equipment. And once you start getting newer cars on that, they should be able to address that. Another thing to follow with Metra that is tied to the state capital money is discussions about making south side fares lower and at CTA levels. And it's possible that Cook County can help them with that and use state capital money to help them make those uh, rides for the um, Metro Electric District and for the Rock Island line at CTA levels, $2.50, which would increase transportation options for people on the south side. All right, that's Morning Shift Transportation contributor Mary Wisniewski. She's the transportation reporter and columnist at the Chicago Tribune. Mary, thanks. Thank you. What is the one film that you think made you? For our summer series, the movie that made me, a notable Chicagoan, comes on and talks about the film that had the biggest impact on their life. And so far, we've heard from writers and comedians, radio personalities, and movie nerds about the films that stuck with them. What was the movie that actually changed my life? It ended up being Monty Python and the Holy Grail. I think The Wizard of Oz especially. Fatal Attraction. Coming to America was one of the first Eddie Murphy movies that I had ever seen, and I just thought it was amazing. I think it's probably a Saturday afternoon, WGN-TV, and on comes Horse Feathers, and then 10 minutes into this movie, I thought, this film understands me. 
Well, our next guest for the series is Christian Picciolini. He's the head of the Free Radicals Project. That's a nonprofit that fights extremism around the world. His 2017 memoir is called White American Youth, My Descent into America's Most Violent Hate Group and How I Got Out. And the movie that made him ties into his life's journey from spreading hate to bringing peace. Christian, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much, Jen. So tell us, what is the movie that made you? It is an obscure foreign film. Uh, you know, having grown up in an Italian bubble, my favorite uh, film of all time is Rocky One. Did you fight last night? Yeah. Did you win? Yeah, I won K1 a second. Yeah, who'd you fight? Puerto Rico. <laughs> He's a bum. You think everybody I fight is a bum? Well, ain't they? So the 1976 <laughs> original Rocky film. How old were you when you first saw it? I was three years old uh, when it first came out, and then I think I've seen it probably two dozen times after that. Three is pretty young. Do you remember that first time, or do you just remember the later incidents of watching it? I remember the first time being in the theater watching it, and I think the first two films of my life were The Champ with Ricky Schroeder and John Voight, which was a boxing film, and the second film was Rocky One. So but I don't know why, but my first two movies got me introduced to boxing. And, and uh, I guess, you know, for many years after that, I, I took that to heart. I mean, at three years old, I'm imagining some of the scenes, remembering them from Rocky One. And there's a, I mean, the boxing scenes are pretty, pretty brutal. Hmm. What do you remember in that first watching, you know, that, that were you disturbed by it? Or was it just like this is happening in, in the film? You know, it was just as if it was happening, but what I think struck me most about the film was that Rocky Balboa was this working class guy from Philadelphia that reminded me a lot of where I grew up in Chicago. And he got a chance to, you know, take the world stage uh, and he made the most of it, but he was always the underdog. And I always saw myself as an underdog, even at a very, very young age, you know, coming from this southwest side Italian bubble didn't feel like I fit in anywhere, kind of like how Rocky felt. And then he made the most of his chance. I mean, we see in Rocky that his his personality is such that he doesn't have a ton of ambition. He doesn't really seem to have a plan for his life. He's, you know, he's boxing, but, you know, he's just kind of doing it. Right. Did that resonate with you? Yeah, I think that what that taught me was that for some people in the world, success wasn't an option. It wasn't an opportunity. And that's how I saw myself. But also, like Rocky, felt that I had the skills to be a champion, but that nobody ever gave me that shot. Uh, And when I saw him take down Apollo Creed or fight Apollo Creed, it really it inspired me to want to kind of defeat the Giants. Mm -hmm. Talk about some of the scenes that stick out most to you in the film. Well, you know, certainly when uh, he meets Adrian for the first time and falls in love uh, and his vulnerability there. You know how I got started in fighting? Huh? No. Am I talking too loud? Three no. minutes! My father, he's uh, my old man. He was never too smart. He says to me, you weren't born much of a brain, you know, so uh, you better start using your body, right? So I've become a fighter. Oh. You know what I mean? Yeah. Why you? Why you left? My mother, she said the opposite thing. What she say? What she say? The opposite. She said you weren't born much of a body, so you better develop your brain. Did she say that? You time. Can I ask you a question? Absolutely. Why do you want to fight? Because I can't sing or dance. 
And I think he's very honest in kind of a, a lowbrow way. He's very vulnerable. But also the fights and the struggles, you know, not winning and coming up, uh, you know, against the this recognized champion that America loves and being this nobody guy who ultimately goes toe-to-toe with him and, and wins in the end. You talked about that feeling of um, isolation and and how it led you down the wrong path. Explain mm-hmm. a little more about that. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I think like everybody else, I was searching for a sense of identity and community and purpose. And uh, because of traumas in my life, because of feelings of abandonment from my parents who didn't abandon me but just worked very, very hard as immigrants to, to survive, you know, I always didn't know where I fit in. I didn't know if I was Italian. I didn't know if I was American. I didn't know if I was Italian-American or American-Italian. Uh, so I always felt very isolated and wanting to fit in. Uh, and I think ultimately in the end, it forced me to amplify the badness within me to get people to pay attention to see me rather than amplifying the goodness because I felt for 14 years, at least the first 14 of my life, nobody had, had seen that. And you eventually got involved with the white nationalist group. We can't ignore the the racial dynamics in Rocky One. Apollo, Apollo, uh, it is a coincidence that you're fighting a white man on the most celebrated day in the country's history. I don't know about that. Is it a coincidence that he's fighting a black man on the most celebrated day in the country's history? Right on. Rocky is Italian American. The man he's fighting, Apollo, Apollo Creed. Creed, is black. Mm-hmm. And as you said, he's he's beloved. But there is this. When you see, like on the posters, or you see in the film of the two of them fighting against each other, Apollo Creed is wearing the red, white, and blue American Mm. flag shorts. And I wonder if the way that dynamic plays out in the movie, whether you saw it differently as you were watching it in different points of your life. You know, I don't think at a young age that that dynamic struck me, uh, at least in Rocky One. But I think in, in... the following Rocky films, what I saw was this kind of humanization between two people that were once enemies who are now best friends. Uh, and the realization that, you know, they, they wanted the same things in life, that they were chasing the same dream, uh, and that essentially they could be best friends and essentially brothers. Uh, and then, you know, later on in the Rockies, Rocky ends up training Apollo Creed's son. Mm-hmm. So, th- you know, the, while I think Rocky One may have set up this idea of this kind of racial dynamic between Rocky and Apollo, further down in, in, in the following films, you actually see the connection that they build, which I think is very important. And that I do remember mm-hmm. seeing. When you think about that first viewing as a three-year-old and your most recent viewing of the <laughs> film, it's always interesting to, to kind of figure out if the movie stands up over time. Does it stand up for you? Oh, I think it's timeless. I think it's one of those stories that shows people that if they have the will and if they work hard, they can accomplish something, but that it also is not a given, that opportunities are not just there for anybody, that we have to take advantage and drive those opportunities ourselves. It's really interesting in the film, the first one. For Rocky, it's not about beating Apollo Creed. It's about going the distance. It really don't matter if I lose this fight. It really don't matter if this guy opens my head again. Because all I want to do is go the distance. Nobody's ever gone the distance with Creed. And if I can go that distance, seeing that bell rings and I'm still standing 
first time in my life, see? I weren't just another bum from the neighborhood. He's talking about resilience. How did that part of the film play into the way you think about life? Oh, boy. That's a, that is a really deep question and one that, you know, I think going back to that film in the eight years that I was involved in the skinhead movement from 87 to 95, when I got out, I thought that that was the end of my life. I didn't, I wasn't accepted by the people I had left, by my old comrades, and, and the outside world didn't want me. But it drove me to understand myself, to self-reflect, and to go the distance. And, you know, 23 years later, I am still that same recruiter that I was in the 80s trying to lure vulnerable young people, except now I am looking for vulnerable people who are in those movements to try and offer them something better, to find a way out. And, um, you know, ups and downs, mountains and valleys, I've, uh, you know, 30 years after I started at 14, I'm still going the distance. I want to talk about one other relationship in the film, and that's the relationship between Mickey and Rocky. Mickey is his um, his coach, his father figure, as far mm. as we can see in the film. And he's not gentle with, with Rocky. He's not gentle at all. Um, mm. And in that first film... He's probably the person who is the most truthful with Rocky. You know, I've been coming in for six years. In six years, you've been sticking it to me. I want to know how come. You don't want to know. Yeah, I want to know how come. You want to know? I want to know how. Okay, I'm going to tell you. Because you had the talent to become a good fighter. And instead of that, you became a leg breaker. So I'm cheap, second-rate loan shark. So living? It's a waste of life. How does that relationship inform or make you think about the way you work with the young people who you're reaching out to now? It's really interesting. So I uh, started a consulting firm called Goldmill Group, which is named after Mickey Goldmill, uh, Rocky's trainer. And uh, at the time, it was an artist management firm. Uh, And the idea was to train bums into champs. Uh-huh. Uh, and we should say Mickey calls, calls Rocky a bum all the time. Uh-huh. Right. So a bum is like a, you know, a kind of a palooka fighter, right? Somebody who, you know, gets knocked out. And uh, my job now really is to find those quote unquote, you know, bums, the throwaways of society and really uh, kind of foster and guide them into a better life. Uh, so, and I do that by being honest, by being vulnerable with them uh, and by sticking with them through thick and thin. That's activist and author Christian Picciolini, and we've been talking about the movie that made him, the 1976 film Rocky. Christian, thanks for sharing that with us. Thanks so much, Jen. And we want to know about a movie that made you. Call our hotline at 888-915-9945. That's 888-915-9945. Tell us the movie, what about it influenced you in your life, and don't forget to leave your name and neighborhood. Now, some of you have called us with the movies you said made you, and here are a couple of the voicemails we got on our hotline. Hi, this is Paul from Ukrainian Village in Chicago. A movie that changed my life, I would have to say Chinatown and Jack Nicholson. He was the perfect detective who did not really know what was happening the whole time. It was very classic tragedy. This is Beverly. Believe it or not, The 1952, I think I have that right, Godzilla movie 
changed my life and, in fact, um, really inspired me to teach film as well as visual and performing arts from K to 12. But I literally have seen the original Godzilla movie probably over 150, if not 200 times in my lifetime and talked about it as a metaphor, which is what it was, for all of the ills that face the human race. It really is a fantastic movie, and there'll never be another Godzilla. And that's it for today's show. Catch us back here tomorrow. Until then, I'm Jen White. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Let's talk again soon.